The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your top five at five. Just four more trading days left in 2022, and investors are all ready to close the books on the worst year since the great financial crisis. We've got a developing story out of China as that country moves to scrap quarantine rules for international travelers. Meanwhile, U.S. airlines dealing with bitter cold, high winds and snow. Southwest, the biggest problem spot as it cancels 70% of its flights and warns mass disruptions will continue this week. Now, ringing up holiday sales, a new report shows American shoppers were resilient this year despite surging prices and a country music star is joining a growing chorus against Ticketmaster. It's Tuesday, December 27th. You are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good morning. I'm Dominic Chu, and for Brian Sullivan today, let's kick off this hour with a check on U.S. stock futures, which are moving higher, but marginally so. You can see here the Dow is up, well, now gaining some steam, up 209 points applied at the opening bell. The S&P up about 26, 27 points, and the Nasdaq up about 69 albeit with relatively muted trading volumes, as you might expect in a holiday-shortened week. And well, we are heading into the final trading week of the year. Here's how the major averages are standing. The Dow is down nearly 9% on a year-to-date basis. The S&P is down more than 19% at this stage. And the Nasdaq has shed about a third of its value during that time span. Now, all three major averages are on pace to break three-year winning streaks and turn in their worst yearly performance since the great financial crisis in 2008. Now, checking on the bond market, yields have been the centerpiece, arguably, of a lot of the market action so far this year. The benchmark 10-year Treasury note yield is actually drifting just slightly lower, a hair below three and three quarters percent, 3.745 the last trade there. The two-year benchmark note yield, 4.34 percent, and the 30-year long bond, 3.81 percent. In energy, oil prices are moving, again, to the upside, generally speaking, over the last couple of weeks, and that trend continues today. U.S. benchmark West Texas Intermediate or WTI crude prices, $80.10. That's up roughly 55 cents or about two-thirds of 1%. Ice Brent crude futures, the world benchmark gauge, up 59 cents to $84.51, about a three-quarter of 1% gain there as well. Natural gas, by the way, $5.16. We are seeing Bitcoin and Ether prices on the move and still eyeing that sixteen to 17000 range for Bitcoin prices. Currently, 16873 and change, up about one-quarter of 1%. Half percent gains for Ethereum, which stands at $1,222.68. Now let's get a check on the overnight action in Asia, the early trading in Europe. The Shanghai Composite closing about 1% higher as China officially announced it will end quarantine rules for inbound foreign travelers on January 8th. Now elsewhere in Asia, markets in Hong Kong, Australia, and New Zealand were closed for the Christmas holiday extension. Now in Europe, 
The U.K. is closed for a public holiday. In other early trading, though, we've got some movement here in the German DAX, up about two-thirds of 1%. The CAC in France up nearly one full percent. The FTSE MIB in Italy up one half of 1%, and the IBEX in Spain up about one half of 1% as well. Now, in corporate news this morning, some major trouble for Southwest Airlines. Silvana Hinao joins us with those details. Good morning, Silvana. Good morning, Dom. Well, nationwide, airlines have canceled more than 17,000 flights since Wednesday as they were forced to deal with bitter cold, high winds and snow. Now, many of the problems have since eased, but not for Southwest. The airline canceled more than 70 percent of its flights yesterday, and the trouble isn't over yet as it's warning mass disruptions will continue this week. CEO Bob Jordan says Southwest plans to operate only a third of its schedule for the next several days as it tries to get its operation back on track. Among the reasons for the problems, bad local weather, Southwest flight routes, a fuel vendor staffing shortage in Denver, and a crew scheduling system that was overwhelmed and left workers in the wrong places. The Department of Transportation is looking into the situation, calling Southwest's rates of cancellations disproportionate and unacceptable. And Dom Southwest shares this morning. Let's see how they're doing in the pre-market. They are lower, uh, lower about three and a half percent. Thank you very much for those headlines. We'll see you later on this show. Sounds good. Uh, back to the broader markets now with futures higher as investors head into the final trading days of 2022. Stocks right now on pace to close out their worst year since 2008 with all three indices down this month and year. But could Friday's rally indicate a potential Santa Claus rally into year end? Joining me now is Ben Emmons, Senior Portfolio Manager at New Edge Wealth. Uh, ben, you know, it seems weird. We want to talk about it because these are stronger seasonal tendencies. But we sound like broken records trying to mention the Santa Claus rally. But it's, it's a thing. The last final five trading days of this year, the two first two of next year, can we expect some kind of positivity given the really dire year that we've had for markets? Good morning, Tom. Well, you know, if you take the Chinese reopening, that would probably be a catalyst for a mini uh, Santa Claus rally that indeed starts typically on a day today and then lasts a few days. Because that Chinese reopening story, I think, is the big macro story for next year. You know, as you highlighted in the segment before, you know, stock market down being between 8 and 30 percent and the yield curve inverted and oil prices up. And, you know, it just all points into this recession scenario next year. I think this Chinese reopening is something of a counterweight to that scenario, because if it does fully reopen, not just for tourism, but just for economic activity, then all the disruptions that you've seen in, in factories and in trade and so forth is all going to be yeah, it's somewhat limited, and I think that will be positive for markets. So you could, for that reason, see a little bit of a rally in the next few days. Just try to digest that scenario of a, say, fully reopened Chinese economy. Should that be something that we should extrapolate into a medium to longer term trend? You mentioned, I mean, that, that's a big macro factor, the world's second biggest economy, some of the reopening optimism there. But is it enough alongside headlines here in the U.S. to have more of a rally in the first half of this year, or are we destined for something more of a choppy trading range and perhaps even more downside to come? Yeah, we're more on the side of the choppy cha- trading range because, you know, the, ch- the China reopening is, is a big factor. It, it would drive commodity demand, it would drive trade, it would drive, I guess, investment too. But we know that this is not going to be the way it has happened in the United States or in Europe, where you had a sudden surge of activity. I think in China it will be in stages that that happens. 
secondly, we do deal still with inflation. Now it's moderating, but I think to many others that have pointed out to this, if China does reopen, that commodity demand will push up inflation somewhat again. And you can tell from the crude markets having recovered now from the lows of around $70 to $80 or so, that's an indication of that headline CPI may not moderate as much so fast as some people think. And that keeps, I think, our stock market in a bind because, as we all know, that that will lead the Federal Reserve to continue to maintain this very hawkish language potentially hiking maybe more than what people currently discount. So we're in the choppy trading range scenario for the first half. Now, now Ben, th- th- those are the big macro, big picture factors that are affecting markets right now. We're also on the cusp of another earnings season, one that's going to be highly scrutinized because we want to see whether or not those Fed interest rate hikes have slowed down the economy, have hurt perhaps corporate earnings. Do you think that corporate earnings story remains intact as we head into this coming earnings season? I think there's a significant difference between sectors, Dom. Like, you know, industrials have done quite well. And I think that probably has to do with that there's still, you know, a fair bit of like activity going on in the economy that these companies have can outperform as a result, you know, basically anticipating better earnings. But then you go to the retail side or financials or even other cyclical sectors, they're all weakening, including tech, right? And I think earnings, as people are very uh, worried about it, is going to be that that component of the recession that will present itself in the first half and why you have this difficult market that we had over the last few weeks. And one thing with, with earnings and margins in particular is that even though inflation has come up a lot, and as you said in the other segment, you know consumers continue to be willing to spend despite high inflation. In the end, the irony can be as inflation starts to roll off really fast, that can affect margins very negatively. So I think this earnings season coming up in the first quarter will be challenged by the fact that, yeah, the pricing power is eroding. And as a result, it puts pressure on earnings. All right. So, Ben, you're a portfolio manager. You're an investment strategist. Your job is to position these client accounts and funds in the way that you see the best appropriate for you know, the, the coming months and, and, and perhaps even quarters in the, in, in the future. W- what exactly does that positioning look like? Are you heavier in cash right now, more into bonds with yields where they are? Are equity still attractive? And what's the mix? Yeah, the mix is, is in the one hand, still defensive on the equity side. You know, we like materials, we like energy, we like healthcare. These are themes that have played this entire year. And we still think that that hasn't played out entirely yet. You know, there's, I, I think, a lot of upside still, given this Chinese reopening, given that the recession scenario is not immediately imminent. It's not an economic recession, maybe more earnings recession. And energy, healthcare, and, and material sectors have, are actually better positioned for this earnings recession. They have high cash flow companies. On the other hand, as you mentioned, bonds have become more interesting. Now, there are differences in bonds. I'd say that these treasury yields you show, we like more the front end of the yield curve, where ultimately, as the, as the Federal Reserve tightening cycle is completely discounted, there's where your return will be in the future at 4.34% is much more attractive than 3.75 in a 10-year. Lastly, you don't want to be completely in cash, but you got to be mindful of that. We do deal with geopolitical tensions. We do deal with potentially another energy shock, you know, perhaps on this Chinese reopening. Just general uncertainty about how, if the economy will fall into a recession, yes or no. And that will lead you to at least keeping your cash somewhat on the sideline. But granted, you can invest it at a very short end of the yield curve at yeah, attractive rates. 
All right. You hear a lot more portfolio managers talking about the attractiveness of two-year Treasury note yields at four and a third percent. Ben Emmons, thank you very much. Have a great new year, sir. Thank you. All right, we come thank back. You. Happy New Year, though. Thank you. When we come back on the show, winter storms and freezing temperatures sending natural gas and heating oil prices higher. No shock there. The details will have those when Worldwide Exchange returns after this commercial break. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. From a flat tire in the city to a dead battery on a distant drive, AAA is partnering with T-Mobile for Business to accelerate response times and get more drivers back on the road fast. Our nationwide connectivity powers location telematics, so AAA's fleet can find stranded drivers quickly while being fully equipped with the in-vehicle tools to have answers when they get there. This is elevating the member experience. This is AAA with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. The global energy crisis and the need to find alternatives as countries move away from Russian oil were major market themes this year. But despite that, clean energy stocks are in the red for 2022. Pippa Stevens has more on that story. Good morning, Pippa. Good morning, Dom. Well, it should have been a good year for clean energy stocks due to two major tailwinds. The first, Russia's invasion of Ukraine, which sent fossil fuel prices surging, demonstrating the need for alternatives. And second, the U.S. government passed the largest climate spending bill on record. But clean energy stocks have underperformed. The Invesco Wilder Hill Clean Energy Fund is down 46 percent for 2022, while the First Trust Nasdaq Clean Edge Fund has lost 28 percent. Solar, wind, hydrogen and uranium focused ETFs also in the red. Now, several factors have weighed on the industry, including rising rates, defensive positioning from investors, a broad rotation out of growth, production delays and policy uncertainty around key proposals. But there are some notable outperformers, including First Solar, which is the largest U.S.-based solar panel manufacturer. Fellow solar names Enphase and Maxion also in the green. Lithium company SQM also posting a game with infrastructure name Quanta Services higher as well. But, Dom, kind of the broad, the broad high-level theme here is one of underperformance for 2022. All right. So, Pippa, clean energy is, of course, not the only area of the market suffering this year. But what about what we should expect for 2023? What's the outlook for many of these types of companies? Well, analysts and investors I've spoken with say that despite 2022's lackluster performance, there is still positive momentum looking forward, especially since many stocks valuations remain below pre-IRA levels. And of course, the energy transition is not going to happen overnight, but will take years and even decades. So with that in mind, J.P. Morgan recently said they view 2022 as a game changer thanks to the spotlight on energy security and that next year there's a catalyst-rich environment. They favor utility-scale solar names Array and Shoals Technologies. Meantime, Goldman uh, also pointing to utility-scale names as the area that investors should focus on. They said to prioritize domestic companies due to tailwinds from the IRA and pointed to names like Solar Edge, First Solar, and Enphase. 
All right, Pippa, we know that interest rates should be a big part of that discussion for many investors as well. Uh, Thank you very much for the check on clean energy. We'll see you later on. Let's shift focus now to the broader energy complex. It's been a crazy ride for oil prices this year, which spiked in February when Russia invaded Ukraine and then again in June. But WTI and Brent crude are now just six and eight percent, respectively, above where they were at the start of 2022 and down roughly 30 percent from the peak that we saw in early March. Now, there are still some wild cards for the sector in 2023, including whether or not Russia cuts off more supply to Europe and, of course, the reopening of China's economy. So let's talk more about this with Rebecca Babin. She's the senior energy trader at CIBC Private Wealth. Uh, Rebecca, this is a time when we take stock on the year that we saw, and it was a roller coaster ride for oil prices. Did that mean that traders made money in this kind of environment, or is this a tough environment for a lot of traders like yourself to become profitable in? So I think generally volatility does um, create an environment where traders can make a lot of money. And I think certainly some traders did this year. However, I think there was a misconception in the market by many analysts and traders um, at the start of the year when we had the reflation trade still with a lot of fire behind it the Fed had not become as aggressive as they are now. And then we have the Russian invasion of Ukraine. And that was just a huge sentiment shift. And kind of everyone got on one side of the boat and leaned really hard into that long. And it seemed like there was not many voices out there spewing kind of that bearish side of the trade. So I think a lot of people did get sucked in a little bit to that trade. I call it the Jedi mind trick of you must be long crude at this time. Um, And that kind of did backfire. It took some people out. We saw some forced liquidations occur about two or three weeks ago. People just couldn't continue to make money in the market. They'd gotten chopped up. Um, So I do think this environment, although volatility generally is great for traders, this particular year has been a little bit tougher on the trading community and caused some pretty significant losses. Now, now Rebecca, can you tell us a little bit from your perspective about what's happening with the crude curve, the futures curve right now, right? It almost feels as though it's, it's been a transitional stage in 2022. We've seen areas where future oil prices are, are higher than lower than, than, than current ones. And we, we've seen times when we've seen future oil prices become less than current spot or, or, or current prices right now. How does that contango backwardation kind of shifting affect how traders view what's going to happen for oil prices in 2023? You bring up a great point, Dom, because the crude curve is the holy grail for traders. When you are in contango, um, it is generally a sign that demand in the present right now is weaker than what you're expecting in the future. It incentivizes to a certain extent you to store crude as opposed to selling it now on the open market because the demand isn't there. We have undergone over the last month a huge shift from a severely backward-dated curve showing us and spurring people who were very bullish on the commodity on, like, hey, demand is strong, don't fall for this move lower. But as the curve has shifted into contango, It's really a reflection that that spot demand may not have been as strong as most people were anticipating. And it's really kind of shaken the conviction of the bulls out there. And I think that was a large part of why we saw some of those liquidations and saw people really abandon ship on those longs. I do think when I look out further in the curve and how compressed it is, and given the catalysts we do have, and when those catalysts aren't just Russia's supply coming offline, it also pertains to the SPR no longer being a buffer. 
we have released 280 million barrels of SPR so far this year. That's a huge number. So when that rolls off and we switch into needing to refill the SPR, we're going to see a lot more support under the commodity. The second thing I think really supports the commodity and should be supporting the back end of that curve is OPEC. OPEC has been very vocal that they will continue to support um, crude. They want stable markets. They're not going to let it fall into free fall as they've done in the past. And the reason they're able to do that without as much consequence is U.S. production is growing at a slower rate than it has in the past, and they're not as afraid of losing that market share. All right. Rebecca Babin with CIBC and Oil, thank you very much. Have a happy new year. Thank you. All right. Still to come this morning, a country music star is joining a growing chorus against Ticketmaster. We've got those details when Worldwide Exchange returns after this break. Today's big number, $15 billion. That's how much short sellers made betting against Tesla so far this year, according to data by S3 Partners, making it the most profitable short of 2022. Nearly a third of those gains were made this month. From a flat tire in the city to a dead battery on a distant drive, AAA is partnering with T-Mobile for Business to accelerate response times and get more drivers back on the road fast. Our nationwide connectivity powers location telematics, so AAA's fleet can find stranded drivers quickly while being fully equipped with the in-vehicle tools to have answers when they get there. This is elevating the member experience. This is AAA with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. Good morning and welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Futures this morning are bid with the Dow implied higher by just about 212 points, the S&P higher by 27, and the Nasdaq by roughly 67 points. Now, we have a deadly winter storm stretching from the Great Lakes near Canada to the Rio Grande along the Mexican border. NBC's Bree Jackson reports from Washington, D.C. on the latest there and the aftermath. Bree, what can you tell us? Good morning, Dom. Well, dozens of deaths in New York are being blamed on what's being called a once-in-a-lifetime blizzard. The death toll from the weekend blizzard continues to climb as authorities in Erie County, New York, discover more and more victims. Died in a car, died outside from exposure, uh, died in a snow shovel or cardiac event regarding the snow blowing. Additional snowfall is expected later today. The National Guard is already assisting New Yorkers. While the White House says the federal government is ready to come to the state's aid too, declaring a state of emergency. And tweeting this photo of President Biden reaching out to New York Governor Kathy Hochul Monday. We'll be getting through this together very soon. I feel confident of that. But the most important thing is please stay at home for the next day. The winter weather is causing travel chaos on the ground. We are asking people to stay off the roads. And at airports nationwide, delaying more than 8,000 flights on the day after Christmas and nearly another 4,000 canceled. We have just been stuck for, what, a good 18 hours now? It's a complete and utter zoo chaos. It's crazy. And the problems aren't over. Southwest Airlines warning mass disruptions will continue this week as the airline operates at one-third of its schedule for the next few days. And according to FlightAware, airlines have canceled more than 17,000 U.S. flights since last Wednesday. Dom. 
right, Bree Jackson, we hope everyone stays safe out there. We appreciate the report. Thank you very much. Let's get a check on this morning's other top headlines. NBC's Philip Mena is in New York City with the latest there. Good morning, Philip. Hi, Dom. Good morning. The Russian military reports it shot down a Ukrainian drone as it approached the Angles Air Base deep inside Russia. This is the second time the base has been targeted this month. Russia says three soldiers were killed by falling debris, but none of their planes were damaged. Ukraine has not acknowledged the attack. Lottery fever continues to heat up nationwide. Nobody took home the $201 million jackpot from last night's Powerball drawing, ballooning the new grand prize to $215 million. Get your tickets ready. The next drawing is tomorrow night. And tonight's Mega Millions jackpot sits at $565 million. That's the sixth largest prize in the game's history. After a Christmas break, the college bowl season picked back up in Detroit. Diego Pavia came up big for New Mexico State with two touchdown passes in the first half. The Aggies fended off a late comeback by Bowling Green to win the quick lane bowl 24-19, giving Jerry Kill his first bowl win in six tries as a head coach. Four more games are on the docket today, including a showdown of the Carolinas in the Birmingham Bowl, and Wisconsin takes on Oklahoma State in the Guaranteed Rate Bowl. So, Dom, we have games, football games, every single day for at least another week. <laughs> Tis the season, Philip Mena. Thank you very much. We'll see you soon. All right. All right, coming up on the show, this morning's top corporate stories, plus from quiet quitting to loud layoffs, we'll talk about some of the big trends in the labor market heading into 2023. And if you haven't already done so, please follow our podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange here on television, on Sirius XM Satellite Radio, check us out on, on Apple or Spotify or other podcast apps. Worldwide Exchange in audio format podcasts. We'll be right back. A developing story at airports across the country. Southwest canceling 70% of its flights just yesterday and warning mass disruptions will continue. Ringing up holiday sales, a new report shows American shoppers were resilient this year, despite inflation. And a country music star is joining a growing chorus against Ticketmaster. It's December 27th, the beginning of a holiday shortened trading week. You're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Welcome back to the show. I'm Dominic Chu in for Brian Sullivan today and a special welcome to everybody listening on Sirius XM channel 112 right now. It's just about 532 a.m. on the East Coast here. And here's how stock futures are shaping up. We're seeing the Dow implied higher by a decent chunk here. 228 point upside implied. The S&P up by about 28 points and the Nasdaq higher by just around 73. In the bond market, yields are wavering. We've got some parts of the curve higher and some parts lower. The benchmark 10-year Treasury note yield drifting slightly lower to about 3.75%. The two-year note yield drifting slightly higher to 4.34%. Now to some of this morning's top stories. Silvana Hinao is here with those. Hi, Silvana. Hey, Dom. Good morning to you. Well, airlines have canceled more than 17,000 flights since Wednesday as they were forced to deal with bitter cold high winds and snow. Now, many of the problems have since eased, but not for Southwest. The airline canceled more than 70 percent of its flights yesterday. And CEO Bob Jordan says Southwest plans to operate only a third of its schedule for the next several days as it tries to get its operation back on track. Now, among the reasons for the problems, bad local weather. Southwest flights routes a fuel vendor staffing shortage in Denver and a crew scheduling system that was overwhelmed and left workers in the wrong places. 
A new report finds holiday sales rose 7.6% this year. Now, that's a smaller increase than the prior year, but still ahead of estimates. The number comes from MasterCard spending pulls, which tracks payments, including cash and debit cards. And country music artist Zach Bryan making headlines. He dropped a live album titled All My Homies Hate Ticketmaster. He also put out a statement on social media denouncing what he calls, in his words, a massive issue with fair ticket prices to live shows lately, Dom. All right, Sylvain Hinao, thank you very much for those headlines. Now, from quiet quitting to loud layoffs, it's been a year of ups and downs for the labor market as investors look to the monthly jobs data for insight on the state of the economy and inflation. Companies right now are deciding on whether to add more jobs or return to their pre-pandemic headcounts. Now, according to ZipRecruiter, December and January have historically been the months of peak employee terminations, with hiring showing a dip in January and February as well. So with more industries predicting a recession in 2023, will these trends continue in the new year? Let's ask Julia Pollack, chief economist over at ZipRecruiter, Julia, we think of ZipRecruiter as a place where people go to find jobs, employers look to find employees. So how many of these big trends that we saw in 2022, arguably post-pandemic, how many will continue in 2023? Ah, Well, this remains a tight labor market, and so we can expect to see many of these trends continue. Uh, Quits are still very, very elevated uh, with people hopping industries. Uh, About half of people who are quitting are not staying in the same industry. They're moving into a different industry, so industry hopping will remain big. Uh, And we can expect some degree of of quiet quitting and quick quitting to go on. Uh, And that means that for employers, the big issue is employee experience. Okay, so so speaking of employee experience, what exactly then do employers have to do to get those employees to want to sign on with them beyond just, say, one to two weeks or three weeks and and keep them for, for the medium to longer term? So many employers feel like they have now maxed out on pay raises and perks. But the thing that we're seeing now uh, be the sort of deciding factor is speed in hiring. Uh, In a recent survey we did of people hired in the last six months, more than 90% said that with this current employer who just hired them, when they applied for that job, the employer got back to them within one week. One week, Dom. That means that companies are being sort of almost ludicrously fast with their hiring processes at the moment. They know that is the make or break issue right now. Okay, so if that's the make or break issue, then let's talk a little bit about the themes with regard to employment going into 2023 on the numbers front and the the industry front. We've spoken a lot and, and analyzed a lot, Julia, with many guests about the fact that many of the layoffs that we've seen highly publicized are are isolated to perhaps parts of the media industry, tech, media, mm-hmm. telecom, so to speak, but that many of the blue-collar jobs, industrial manufacturing jobs, have been unaffected by layoffs. Is, is that fair to say? Is that the right assessment to make? You could even go further. So right now, on Main Street, layoffs and terminations are lower by about 500,000 a month than normal. Typically, about 1.9 million people are laid off or fired every month in the U.S. economy. Right now, that's more like 1.4 million. And so these layoffs that are happening in tech are not o- only being uh, completely offset 
by the lack of layoffs everywhere else. Uh, even you know, if you look within tech, many of these uh, layoffs are, are relatively small as a share of headcount and as a share of headcount growth over the past two years. So companies in tech are going back a couple of months when it comes to headcount. In the rest of the country, uh, they're surging ahead and, and making up lost ground. Do you expect that the jobs market will remain strong and resilient in 2023? Or are the threats of a recession going to make it so that Fed policy and policies with regard to slowing down the economy overall will ultimately have a negative impact on the jobs market next year? So right now, statistical agencies and the government and economists can't even figure out what happened with jobs in the second quarter, uh, let alone predict the future. Right? There's a disagreement between various uh, key government surveys uh, about whether the economy created 100,000 jobs in the second quarter of 2022 or a million jobs. So there's tremendous uncertainty about the past, let alone the future. But here's what we predict. Uh, number one, inflation is going to continue to slow. Goods prices are going to come down or hold steady while service price inflation is going to continue to slow. That means the Fed will be able to hold that terminal rate throughout the year at around 5 to 5.25%. They'll be content to be a bit patient, even if inflation doesn't come right back down to 2% right away. You know, in past inflationary episodes, it's sometimes taken three to four years. Uh, and that means that prices will come down faster than wage growth. And so after two years of negative wage losses, uh, the US consumer is now going to see wage growth again, real wage growth, expanding purchasing power. And that means that the US consumer could actually continue to be resilient uh, and, uh, and that we may actually narrowly avoid a recession, despite some recession prediction models uh, that, that say that the, the likelihood of a recession is, is very high in the coming year. All right. Julia Pollack at ZipRecruiter. She's a glass half full type person going forward. Thank you very much. Have a happy new year. You too. All right. Coming up on the show, what investors need to know about 2023 and the agenda on Capitol Hill. Stay tuned. You are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Let's turn now to Washington, D.C. and ask what investors should know about the 2023 agenda in our nation's capital. Kayla Tausche joins us with a look at what's in the White House's playbook for the coming year. Good morning, Kayla. Good morning, Dom. The White House closing out the year on an optimistic note, but senior officials say a few priorities are taking top billing in 2023 as President Biden weighs whether to run for re-election. Number one is the war in Ukraine, nearing its second year, devastating a country, challenging Western democracy and upending global commodities markets with no end in sight. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen told 60 Minutes earlier this month it underpins the administration's economic goals, too. You have said that ending Russia's war against Ukraine is the single best thing we can do for the global economy. Yes. Do you see any evidence that that end is in sight? We're doing everything we can to bring this war to a conclusion. Of course, we're providing considerable help um, to Ukraine, both military and economic. Number two, the White House is also doing all it can to avert a recession, keeping its head down to implement the several trillion dollars in infrastructure, climate, social and semiconductor spending and making sure the policies it pursues in the future don't contradict what the Federal Reserve is doing. White House economist Jared Bernstein tells me a recession is not inevitable and a soft landing is still possible, saying, quote, if anything, the recent data flow is more supportive of a credible path to steady and stable growth. We've 
We, got, we know that does not dismiss the risks that are out there. Finally, the China relationship is entering uncharted territory. The White House has ramped up hawkishness with new technology controls, and the new Congress will undoubtedly consider new trade restrictions. Former officials call it a sea change that will reset relations from here. And certainly, of course, that has uh, an impact on the market overall, Dom, as we've seen in the past. Uh, Kayla, I, I wonder, w- with those three major themes in focus right now, the, the playbook for the Biden administration has been criticized for not addressing from a public relations standpoint or a communication standpoint some of the victories that they've had. What exactly can this administration do in the coming year to highlight some of the victories that they've had? Now, I, I say that because many of the topics you just spoke of were initiatives that the Trump administration was looking to do as well and are now being carried forward with the Biden administration. How exactly does that conversation then go? Well, I think from a messaging standpoint, Dom, the administration would disagree and they would say that they have their cabinet, their deputy secretaries pounding the pavement, talking about these achievements. The problem is just that that message hasn't really landed uh, with Main Street America because inflation has been the fly in the ointment, because the rising cost of living has been so problematic for everyday Americans. The administration would also argue that the results from the midterm elections would be proof positive that the policies they have pursued pursued are policies that are popular and that are working. But of course, there are a lot of variables, Dom, uh, that could change that equation in the next year. Kayla Tausche, it's good to see you up here in New York City. Good to see you. Thank <laughs> All right. you. Let's move now from the White House up Pennsylvania Avenue and then Constitution Avenue to the U.S. Capitol and the agenda of items Congress will look to tackle starting next week. Joining me now is Ed Mills, Washington policy analyst at Raymond James Uh, Ed, Kayla's report was very telling with regard to the key focus for the administration with regard to what we want to talk about in the coming year. What exactly does Congress have to do to kind of get its message across to America with regard to how it's helping everyday Americans with their state of life and inflation overall? Yeah, good morning, Dom. I think number one for Congress, um, in the House at least, is to pick a speaker. Um, The Republicans are not yet settled on who they want to lead uh, the House of Representatives uh, in that very important role. Why that's important to markets is the way in which they choose the speaker in some of the rules that the House of Representatives come up with will be very telling for what legislation will come, especially as we deal with critical issues like the debt limit. Top of the list for Congress will be a tough on China bill. Uh, We've seen them pushing back against the Biden administration that they're not going far enough. And so in terms of bipartisan legislation that comes from here, that would be top of the agenda there. But beyond that, there's a to-do list that hasn't been yet completed from 2022. That's an energy permitting bill, really important for the Inflation Reduction Act. That's extending out tax provisions that expire or change because of the Trump tax cuts. The research and development tax credit um, really is important and it hasn't been fixed for a lot of businesses with a high expense. So a lot of to-do items that are hangovers from 2022. So, so Ed, th- th- if, if, if with that in mind, if that's the case, what exactly will then the first three or four months look like? H- how will the speaker selection process play out in your mind? What's your prediction? And then how exactly will that change what is prioritized in the agenda? What comes first after a speaker is then installed? Yeah, Dom. So I, I think that the way in which the speaker's race is likely to play out is more likely than not, this goes to beyond one ballot. 
We haven't really seen that in the last 100 years uh, in the House of Representatives. For an individual to capture the majority of the vote in the House, there might be rule changes that give more power to individual members or individual groups. Uh, Kevin McCarthy is the speaker designee from his party. Does it go to someone else? Does it go to the number two, Steve Scalise? That's an open question. After that, I think the most important thing for Congress to do is to finish what they didn't do before they left this year, which are the expiring tax provisions that needed to get done that are not done. And hopefully they can do that sooner rather than later. So as people file on April 15th, uh, they don't have the uncertainty of these expired provisions uh, being in effect. It's more important for business than individuals, but very important for the businesses impacted. Ed, there's been a school of thought over the years, and, and you can even argue decades at this point with regard to U.S. politics, the, the, the cross-section, the intersection of Wall Street and K Street, that a gridlocked Congress, a gridlocked Washington, D.C., is the best thing for the economy, is the best thing for business, when governments cannot do stuff to inhibit businesses from doing what they do best, that that's ultimately the best thing for the U.S. economy. Are we going well, to expect gridlock, so to speak, in 2023, given the dynamic in Congress? Well, I think the, the baseline is fewer things will get done, Dom. Um, but that doesn't mean that there aren't kind of bipartisan things out there or things that absolutely need to get done. I highlighted the debt limit. I'm also looking to see the implosion in crypto. Does that lead to some sort of bipartisan kind of infrastructure of uh, regulation for that industry. We look at, um, you know, kind of regulation. How does Congress influence the, the legislation uh, and regulatory uh, process? Uh, we could see some big things. And, and I kind of highlight if we go into recession, I don't expect a significant legislative response. But is the political window closing for the Fed? Is there going to be bipartisan criticism of the Federal Reserve that will have massive influence on monetary policy decisions because the Fed would be concerned as we go into the 2024 election that they are going to be part of the conversation. Would we see Congress change the mandate? Because ultimately it is Congress that dictates how the Federal Reserve operates themselves. They are independent, but they are a creation of government. All right. Ed Mills with the Washington Policy Outlook there at Raymond James. Thank you very much. Have a happy new year. Thanks, Tom. Coming up you on the too. show, stocks may suffer their roughest year since the financial crisis this year, but that does not mean there are not opportunities for making money. We're going to talk to a top money manager coming up next for that look. Welcome back. Time now for your WEX wrap-up. Six stories you may have missed as we close in on the 6 a.m. hour. Here we go. Southwest Airlines canceled more than 70% of its flights yesterday and is warning of mass disruptions that will continue this week. Country music artist Zach Bryan is denouncing Ticketmaster in a social media post where he calls out the platform for its unfair ticket prices to his live shows. A new report finds holiday sales rose 7.6% this year, a smaller increase than the prior year, but still ahead of economist estimates. China announcing yesterday that travelers will no longer need to quarantine upon arrival on the mainland starting on January 8, 2023. Tesla will reportedly run a reduced production schedule at its Shanghai plant this month. Next month, the automaker had suspended production at its Shanghai plant last weekend, extending a planned eight-day production halt as the company faces a wave of COVID-19 infections among workers and suppliers. And attorneys at Twitter are urging a California federal court to throw out a lawsuit filed by more than 
100 former employees over the mass layoffs implemented by CEO Elon Musk. Now, right now, futures are implying a higher open. Joining me now is Greg Sarian, founder and CEO of Sarian Strategic Partners at Hightower Advisors. Uh, Greg, this is a market right now that seems to be trying to find some footing. Do you expect any kind of positivity in the early part of 2023? Good morning, Donna. Thank you for having me back. And please don't shoot the messenger, but we expect there's going to be continued volatility really driven by the Fed, Don, especially as we start 2023. Uh, we expect that earnings are going to be choppy as well through the first quarter. So when we see a pause, Don, when we see the Fed begin to pause, likely in that March to May time frame, we think the market gets some footing. But we are not overly optimistic on the start of the year. Greg, how bad does it get in the first three months of the year before a hypothetical scenario where the Fed even has a chance to think about perhaps slowing things down? Yeah, it's, so this is Fed is telling us what they're going to do, and then they do it. And so we believe that despite the slowdown you're seeing in things like auto sales and housing sales, we continue to see a strong labor market. That will keep the Fed focused on raising rates, Dom, at least into that February, March timeframe. But most of the damage has been done, and I think it creates a real opportunity, especially in the muni bond market, but again, we don't believe the market's going to be in this bottoming process likely till the spring. And then we're probably in a muted return environment. All right, so, so, I mean, Greg, this is interesting here because you're not the first financial advisor to bring up muni bonds or bonds in general. Do you think that bonds are a better investment in the coming year with yields where they are than stocks are? I wouldn't say the coming year, Tom, but I'd say the coming quarter for investors looking to put cash to work. Look, right now, one to 10 year muni bond ladders yielding about three and a quarter, three and a half. That's almost five and a half percent on a taxable basis for those in the highest bracket. One year treasuries, one year treasuries paying over four percent. And the important thing is, if the data points continue to slow, we can see down the Fed lowering rates in 2024, which means now's a good time to be locking in those those muni yields. Okay, now that's the muni bond side of things. I wonder in our last few moments here, let's talk about the equity markets as well. Is it still the value trade versus growth? Is it still quality over some of those kind of more interest rate sensitive sectors out there? Where is the stock portion of their portfolio going towards right now? Right. So we, we think you have to be really careful here, Dom, and, and drip money into high quality dividend growers, cash rich, high quality dividend companies. We don't think tech or telecom, healthcare, consumer services are coming back till the Fed stops raising rates and credit markets begin to stabilize. That could be several quarters out. All right. We're keeping a close eye on that tech trade and interest rates for sure. Greg Sarian, thank you very much. Have a happy new year, sir. That does it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. Futures right now pointing towards a 200-point open to the upside. For the Dow Jones, the S&P up by 26 points and the Nasdaq up by 62. Keep it right here. Squawk Box is coming up next. We will see you tomorrow. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. 
That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.